0: Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice.
1: And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts and entrepreneurs in the B2B space.
0: Giving you the inside tips, tricks and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Good afternoon and welcome to the third episode of our Marketing Rebel series. I'm really excited today because we have got Tom Bangay from Juro joining us. Tom is one of my long-term colleagues from both my Juro days and my Thomson Reuters days. He's the director of content at Juro. Um, Juro is a contract management platform who are all about making contracts more human. Any questions or anything you have to do with contracts definitely go over there and check them out. And Thomas led content are both big corporates and scale-ups so he's going to bring with him some really interesting interesting perspective of having worked at both and some amazing insights I'm sure. So Tom it's great to have you today and welcome.
1: Thanks very much great to be here very kind introduction as well I can't believe you actually asked me on as having worked together twice so uh, very generous.
0: (laughs) I was thinking it's actually a really nice change that we get to talk about like what we do today, rather than like legal matters, for example. So Yeah, I
1: talk about that far too much.
0: (laughs) It's a nice change to be able to talk about what we know. Cool. Well, um, I've got lots of questions for you today, but I guess the the topic that we're going to talk about as an overview is about content marketing. Don't fix what isn't broken, just do it better. And the reason why I'm excited to have you on is I had, in my first episode, I interviewed Chris Walker, of refine labs and if anyone didn't get a chance to listen to that then please go over and check it out but we were discussing about the ebook being dead and I am a massive advocate of the ebook and quite and also of some like more traditional marketing methods even though I work in a scale up so sometimes people can ask like is that do the two go together and I know having worked with you as well and on many an ebook you also know and love the ebook well so it would be nice to get the perspective from you in terms of, you know, what to do with content marketing and how to just do it better. Because I know that's kind of your big thing. So can we just dive straight in? What What do you think about ebooks? What's your take?
1: I mean, you know, Alice, I love an ebook. <laughs> I love an ebook. I kind of get the point. I think um, if you think about influencers on LinkedIn, it's very um, productive to kind of position yourself against current thinking and just like have something controversial or not mainstream and talk about why that's the thing that you should do. I think on the same platform on LinkedIn, if I scroll through today, I think I was being pushed ebooks by Salesforce, HubSpot and IBM, and they're quite successful. They kind of know what they're doing. So I think the big caveat is you should do what works for you. Like they're not going to be right for every company. You might not have the the team to do it. You might have another channel that works way better, but I think an ebook properly executed is still a good idea, broadly speaking. And I think most of the objections that I see to, like, oh, ebooks are a bad idea, to me, are about them being done in kind of the wrong way. So, like, oh, it takes too long. Well, yeah, they do take a long time, but is your production as efficient as it can be? Are you getting the maximum yield from it? Like, do you repurpose it into your blog and make it work for you for SEO and all that kind of stuff? So that's one thing. They don't convert. Like, okay, so do you have a good follow-up process? Um, are you writing about the right thing? Are you talking to the right audience? Have you done all the hard work of, like, Researching your persona, and making sure that you're saying the right things to the right people, or just like, was it like not very good? I mean, ultimately, if it's not very compelling, if it's not good content, it's not really going to get people over that trust hurdle and get them to give you the well. I mean, they're going to give you their details, but when you follow up and be like, "What did you think of the ebook?" and try and start a conversation, they'll be like, "Well, not much." So, if you can do it well, there's a reason why companies do it. If you can't do it well, there's lots of other things you can do that are worthwhile as well.
0: Yeah completely agree and just quickly there's a quick there's a question which I'm just going to answer now because that'll give them context for the rest of the interview but when hmm. we talk about ebooks do you mean specific content types or do you include things like white papers and reports in that too so I would say yes so it's a, I'm talking about large pieces of gated
1: content if I think would yeah. you agree I think broadly speaking yeah I think um, some of those you can produce faster than others uh, I, will, I will probably get to it but I tend to lean on contributor heavy Quite deep kind of ebooks, um, but white papers and reports it's the same principle. Like something chunky enough to get people through a gate. That's what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, exactly. So on that topic, in very practical terms, I think sometimes it can be quite overwhelming to people. Okay, right, go away write an ebook. Like, how do you actually just like begin that whole process? How do you start that? And what are the steps that you follow at Juro to actually produce the ebook? What are the stages and what are the challenges that people might come across?
1: Yeah. Um... I mean, I think the first stage is like the decision to do one or not do one is a a strategic decision. We could talk about that a bit later, I think. But like, you need to be really clear on whether or not you're going to do it and like why you've chosen to to do that instead of doing something else. But once you've decided that, like, let's say a big rock in the LinkedIn terminology is what you want to do, I think you need a really compelling idea. So to kind of get to that kickoff of like, what are we going to, bright about what are we going to talk about? For me, that's about lots and lots and lots and lots of ICP research. Like it's kind of true for pretty much every team in a startup or a scale-up. There's really nothing, like no more valuable use of your time than talking to customers or prospects. And it's true for content in the same way it's true for marketing, product, sales, everyone. The more time you can spend with them, the better. So like it's a really big focus for us doing ICP research, like doing off the record content discovery with perfect customers or existing customers or prospects or whatever. And I go pretty deep. I mean, like we work pretty hard to make friends with these people. So they feel comfortable answering our questions, but doing that content discovery, you need to kind of step outside of like, what should we write about? If you ask someone, what do you think we should write about? They're not content strategists. How would they know? They don't know how to answer that question. You need to get inside their lives. Be like, so in the morning you go into probably your second bedroom, because you're working from home, you open your computer. What do you open? What are all the tabs? before you even start talking about work like when you have a meeting with your manager what are the things they ask you about that you don't like to talk about like what are the things they don't ask you about that you would like to talk about which other teams in the company do you hate (laughs) you know which other teams in the company do you do you wish you could work with more like you need to understand what it's like being them at work and that that's like different from a compelling content idea but i think doing that icp research regularly and going really deep is, is the first thing Once you've got an idea and you think, okay, we should write a book about X. So for example, last quarter, I think we wrote a book called Legal for Scale-Ups. And that as an umbrella is great. It's just like, let's get our perfect customers, like the the main customer constituency at Juro or the in-house council of high growth tech companies. Let's get them to talk to us about themselves. Great, because like they'll all want to read it. Um, You need to build in a little bit of flexibility because if you get an, an amazing contributor on board, like so for that one, for example, if the general counsel of UiPath came along and said, Yeah, I'd love to contribute to your book, but I don't want to write about that. I want to write about this. It's like the fastest growing company in the world. We want him in the book. So you need a bit of flexibility to make that happen. Then, in terms of the actual process, once you've um, got enough people that you can get started, we move extremely aggressively. So we tend to do phone interviews, which are transcribed in real time. I was fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, in that my first job involved real time transcription on the phone. so. I'm I tend to do transcription as I'm interviewing which saves an enormous amount of time afterwards then we'll ghostwrite a draft send it back to them and get them to review it Um, and more often than not they I think once it's happened that they didn't like the draft and we had to rewrite it but usually people who are kind of thought leaders by definition are too busy to do this kind of stuff so the idea that you'll spend half an hour with them and they'll get to look like an amazing thought leader and they have to do pretty much nothing. They love it, they're flattered and they usually really like the, the content. Um, so you push forward do that really quickly and then try and get into design and then get ready to launch. And also if you get good contributors, you get the network effect of them sharing it for you, which is like priceless.
0: Yeah, so I think on this, it's a really key um point. So there are eBooks and there are eBooks. And I think one thing I found that was really different when I was working at Jurator when I kind of started and came to Cognizam was we would try and do gated content but solely from ourselves and like from our point of view but we didn't actually take the time to get the contributors and that trust point of having people who have come from like businesses like our ideal customers and prospects and who are high profile and who actually give that book some backbone I guess and so that might seem daunting and hard work but that's really important to making what you write good and also i guess appealing and successful as well
1: yeah for sure i think the thing i mean i have some made some notes before the call and i think one of the things that i always try and get people to remember it, like in the team in the company is as a marketer no one cares what you think at all like you're not interesting sorry Alice, i don't mean you personally <laughs> I mean, you're very interesting but like marketers in general and i think it's like one of the things that makes my heart sink if uh, you see an ebook and it's got a beautiful cover it's really long lots of work's got into it and you open it and there's some copy and it's just got no byline and it's just like words from no one it makes me really sad because as a reader what i'm what i'm picking up from that is like either you know that you have no authority to be talking about this like you can't put uh, this was written by you know, a content marketing manager, because you know that your readers will be like, well, what do they know about what I do? They don't know anything. Or it's so bad that no one wants to put their name to it, which is probably not the case. But like, if you can't get your CEO to to take the byline, why is that? Do they think it's bad? Are they ashamed of it? So I think unless you prepare to stand behind like what you're doing as as an individual, unless you're the economist, you can't get away with having no byline. And it's like also a, a kind of a shortcut. So If you think trying to build that authority as a startup or a scale up, it takes ages. Like no one really knows who you are, even a a successful company like one of the top 10 startups on LinkedIn, like Cognizant for example, um, has like some brand recognition in the world, but almost nobody comparatively out of 7 billion people has heard of it. So what do you do about that? You can either build your own authority organically, which some people do, takes ages, but it's definitely worthwhile. Or steal it, cheat, just borrow other companies like get all the other more impressive companies to front your content and then you lean on their brands it's quicker it's just like a really quick way to do stuff and it kind of intermeshes you with their brands and makes you kind of more authoritative
0: definitely definitely I think
1: it's it's really really important
0: and then on that topic actually I'm going to skip, skip to what we had down as our final question but getting the influencers we haven't really talked about this but what is your strategy to actually getting them to just talk to you i guess in the first instance what's the process that you go through for that
1: i mean it gets easier the more you've done it but um, it's a little bit like warm sales intros you know how you can get better kind of results in commercial deals to things like investor network and founder networks and stuff like that it's kind of the same vibe where the more you've put yourself in that community of peers the easier it's going to be like if you worked with someone who went to law school with someone else, it's going to be a bit easy for you to convert them as a contributor, but honestly, the best thing to do is just start, just pitch. Like it, it's, not, it's not like, it's not like, a risky ask. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you're dropping in someone's inbox with something unreasonable or aggressive. You're saying, Hey, I, I think you're a really interesting person. We want to feature you in, we want to make you a hero, and we'll put you in the front of a book. Are you interested in taking half an hour to do it? And quite often you get ignored. But the people who will say yes to you is like very like surprising it's not a big correlation between success and people who are willing to just um just say yes so we'll we'll be quite aggressive we'll like wish list it well if we have a rough chapter structure, we'll be like who would be the best 10 authors and we'll just contact them all see what happens and you can also use it tactically so if you have a really good sales prospect that you know you just started talking to get them in the book it's just going to bring them closer to the company and they'll know more people there and it's going to make it more likely the deal closes and if you've got a new customer get them in because they're going to feel really valued now that that you're not just working with them but promoting them out into the world and making them into a a thought leader so just be quite aggressive and and you can aim pretty high people are quite generous with their time if you ask the right way
0: and there's one famous example of that actually helping a sale eventually wasn't there i think it was a couple of people who we worked on with our first book at Juro who ended up being customers like five or six months later maybe even
1: longer <laughs> something like 20 percent of the author list of that original ebook are now customers <laughs> yeah <so laughs> there's also a, 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 con- content. There's a content sales um, methodology that, that's quite good as well but yeah it's just um, about putting yourself at the heart of their kind of professional life and it just makes it easier to do all kinds of things with them sell to them get them to come to events get you get them to introduce you to other people
0: definitely and i think also don't underestimate that people when you are reaching out and and sending those messages use linkedin make sure you personalize them massively look at actually what are they posting about on linkedin what is there one particular post that relates back to the kind of chapter you'd want them to feature in for that book why have you heard about them anyway why have they come on your radar like just be human be honest personalize that approach and you're more likely to succeed as well i think that's important Cool. Well, I think that's really a really good start on, on like the practicalities of getting going with, with an ebook and another thing. So I've worked with you, Tom over the years, both at Jura and TR and I can safely say you, you are probably the best content guy out there, but I think one good. thing, one thing that has like always really impressed me and has actually taught me everything I know about Google as well is, and that you've completely nailed is how to actually just win in Google. And I think something we always talked about at jury was this whole, like any unfair advantage you can claim, whether that be elevating your brand or elevating your ebook by having influencers in it, or, you know, getting to page one of Google organically, all these things were always really important to us because we acknowledge where we sit in the sort of tier of companies out there. So can I ask you like, first of all, why do you care about it? Why should you care about winning in Google? Why does it matter? And then, can we talk about very practically how you claimed so many page one rankings and snippets what the process was you followed
1: sure yeah i mean just as a caveat i can only really talk about getting organic rankings so you know conversion on those pages is a whole different thing and then paid search is a whole different thing entirely as well but um i think in terms of like why do we care i think think about a startup particularly in the early stages probably the people you can serve is like a really, really, really tiny number of people. And you spend all your time thinking like, where are they? Where like our perfect customers, they're just out there. We could just find them and talk to them. And that's really what marketing is all about trying to generate leads. I think like there are three and a half billion searches on Google every day, so they're all there. Everyone you would ever need to become a trillion dollar company is in that platform doing organic searches so everything you need is there if you can just kind of get them to come to you now that's like really an obvious point but i think where it kind of interlinks with startups is seo like organic search is kind of beyond a certain level is predictable you kind of get out what you put in so if you work hard and you kind of know what you're doing you will get results you'll get rankings it's like not quite objective but there's a fairness to it right so what that means is as a startup you have certain advantages over bigger companies like agility and Focus and a bit of freedom, and like in some cases, a lack of supervision. Right? You can kind of do not necessarily what you want to do, but you do you are backed to do, let's say, higher risk projects. And with search, like if you put enough time and focus in it, you can outrank much, much bigger companies just by doing it better and moving faster. Like a really good example is if you Google uh, legal operations in the UK, Jura is number one. Number two is the 13 billion dollar company that you and I used to work for. So, um, <laughs> It's very satisfying, but also it's like a way to cheat. Like, well, not necessarily cheat, but you can outperform bigger, more successful, richer companies by doing something very, very targeted well. And like that's really how you jump up the curve with it with a startup. So it's like um, it's a very powerful mechanism if you can get it right.
0: Definitely. And then I think what I'm really interested in is and I guess anyone who's listening, um, from companies from all sizes, but like how do you actually in a very practical way go about claiming a page one ranking and a snippet what is the process that you follow like how do you decide wake up out of bed get up in the morning you're like okay so i'm going after this keyword and how am i going to move it to number one spot with a snippet
1: yeah well i guess like stage zero before that would be strategic like do we want that keyword and as you know i spend 100% of my time in either AHFs or hubspot so i'm you always love the
0: Ahrefs. Ahrefs.
1: <laughs> I'll say it's the best SaaS platform that I use. I think it's great. So I think in terms of how to actually get a page one ranking, I mean, everything I know about search, I, I pretty much learned from the SEO manager and investor like where I used to work. I'll give him a shout out. Matt Casper, he works at Haycar now. He's doing amazing things in search there, but his answer to that question, like how do you rank the short version is like, write good content. The long version isn't much longer. It's just kind of like, write optimized, rich. Relevant content and build links to it. And the second bit there, build, build links to it. Like the harder the keyword is, the more relevant that is. But if you want to capture a keyword that's like keyword difficulty 0 to 10, you really don't, like you can do that without link building at all if you write well enough, if you like stretch your page well enough. I think when it comes to something competitive, so like we rank number one in the UK for content management software above not just all the other vendors, but like Capta and G2, for example. And it wasn't very easy to do. It was like, 40 dollars a click to buy that keyword because there's some really well-funded companies in our space the way we approached it was i think like you kind of touched on it before a startup whenever you kind of realize or by design you, you have an advantage you just have to press it as much as is humanly possible if there's something you can do better than other companies you just have to absolutely max that out. So in, in our case, a relatively early stage, we had two writers, right? Me and someone else in my team. So our advantage was guest posting. We had two writers and also a CEO who is very comfortable doing thought leadership, has lots of interesting ideas and put a lot of trust in us to do pitching and guest posting on his behalf. We went absolutely scorched earth. We guest posted on all of our customers' blogs, all of our vendors' blogs, like um, our HubSpot agency, like our lead intelligence platform, anyone who we could do a case study with, a guest post, whatever it was, we would offer it and do it. And it didn't really matter how difficult it was, how long it had to be. Like we posted on Typeform, and I think it had to be 2000 words. We like gave them, we said, we can give you this tomorrow. We publish it. And they're like, oh, okay, did it. So you just really need to press those advantages and you can get very creative. Like I did guest posts on both my undergraduate and postgraduate um, university alumni blogs. Because academic backlinks are like gold dust. It took a lot of work to get them to agree to take the post. But um, like if you put in the work, you get high-quality links. Like Make friends with other content people. Do site searches for relevant keywords and then just beg them for links. Like Just be aggressive. Everything everything you can think of, just absolutely go for it. And it'll work. Like If you put in the work, it, it, it will uh, work. I, I'd say the 2 cast generally doesn't work. Because there are certain agencies that are like, we'll give you 50 high domain authority links for like two grand or whatever. Google's pretty smart. They kind of work that stuff out and discount the links. And the other thing is like, especially for hard keywords, don't mess around with like poor quality links. Anything like domain authority kind of 50 or less, it's going to help, but just focus on like 60, 70, 80. If you get anything in there, you'll it's going to work. Just, just like go for the big boys and that, that's going to work for you.
0: Amazing. And I've got a question here about why do you like AHRS so much? Um their company is using Conductor Searchlight and SEM Rush. They don't have a dedicated SEO star.
1: Hmm, yeah, I think that's a good question. So I don't really I've never really used anything else. I've tried three versions of a couple of the other platforms. I really like Ahrefs because number one, I kind of like the way they operate as a company. So the self-service onboarding was so good. And then also when um the lockdown started. That this really cool thing um, in browser where you could be like, it just said like it, something like, "Is your business affected by COVID? Do you want three weeks of no billing?" You just click it and then you see it happen and you get a discount in real time. Like the way they operate is really nice. And um, they push support through the help center. They just stay out of your way generally. It's really good. And then um, whenever I've needed help, they've been very responsive. And also like, even though we've had some good SEO wins, my background's really like writing. I'm not a technical SEO person, so. It's just intuitive enough that I can get away with not knowing certain things, but I can still understand what certain numbers mean and move them, and that's really all I want to achieve. And the price point is pretty good as well, so just great platform.
0: I agree, yeah. And I've used like SEM Rush before and Moz, and for me, Ahrefs wins over all of those. Um, So yeah. Okay. Okay. And now. Yeah, which I think their story is amazing as well. So anyone who's interested, definitely go and check that out. And they always produce really helpful content. So I think just that in itself also shows they're kind of eating their own dog food, um, so to speak.
1: Yeah, so and one... the way they do um, the way they do product updates as well is spectacular. So just yeah. if you check out any of their new release blogs, they're really good.
0: Yeah, agreed. Step by step, it's amazing. Anything like, like I mean, HubSpot's kind of the Ahrefs equivalent to me. Anything that helps me do my job better and faster and make me look like I know what I'm talking about, without necessarily <laughs> knowing all the answers, is always a win. And I think Ahrefs and, and HubSpot do that really well. Amazing, cool. So um, another project that I know you launched recently, which I want to touch on, And this was about chasing down the low volume, high intent keywords for Juro. So I think this is really interesting. I think people can always get really caught up on those high volume search terms that are going to bring all the traffic that, you know, is going to really please their CEO in um, a board meeting or I don't know, whenever they have to report on traffic numbers to the website. And actually what you have done is carved out, I guess, a, a fair amount of time to chase down these low volume, high intent keywords. For example, I know one was like how to automate an NDA. Can you share the results you've seen from this tactic and strategy, and how you went about it, and why?
1: Yeah. As well? well, I think it, let's do that in reverse order. So why? I, I think I was on parental leave, and it just I, it just occurred to me how we would do it, and then I put a deck together, and then when I went back. I just convinced my boss to let me do it. I think um why was it's kind of what you were touching on then. You're really trying to de-risk intent is it's quite hard to know what's driving high volumes of search traffic. So for example, I don't know, something like lead generation, right? For you guys, it might seem like a really good keyword, but you might find that everyone searching for it is kind of in the education phase. And then like your page will get loads of traffic, but not convert. And then you've got to work out how to get them down the funnel, all that kind of stuff. Cause you didn't really know enough about the intent behind that search. So what we tried to do is come up with a project whereby we could just not worry about intent at all. there would be like, no way anyone arriving at these pages would be anything other than people kind of looking to solve the problem that we solve. So we did two things. We looked at, at everyone who joins the platform, Jura gets onboarded through a customer questionnaire where we ask them lots of questions about what they're trying to do, how we can help them, why they bought, all that kind of stuff. And also we asked them what kind of contracts they're looking to bring in because Juro tends to be like really effective for certain kinds of high volume contracts, NDAs, NSAs, this kind of stuff. So what i really left you with is like kind of two areas of pain so one is like verbs so it would be like uh, i'm buying this because i need to automate a process i need to simplify a thing i need to standardize to digitize whatever it was some kind of verb and some kind of noun so i would be like i need to automate my ndas or i need to self-serve my offer letters like some kind of combination of nouns and verbs we pretty much knew at that point like this like this will by definition be relevant because this is what people buy the product for. So then you've pretty much your content plans written itself, like how to automate an NDA, how to negotiate an NDA, how to standardize an NDA. And then you write 1500 word articles about all of those things and make them useful, search friendly articles, publish them on a specialist blog. I mean, it took a, an extraordinary amount of work, but um, it worked really well. Like the words we, the keywords we wanted to capture, we captured like some of them within a couple of days. In terms of results, it actually worked really nicely because we launched the product, uh, sorry, the project at the same time that we launched a freemium version of the product, which we could kind of let people go straight into. So there wasn't really any sales involvement or like any work that had to be done with them. And these are people that we kind of knew were ready to try doing a thing that we can do with them, like automating an NDA. So now, like if you search for how to automate an NDA in the UK, I think we're results one and two, which is nice. But then through that route, people just come straight into the products and uh, automate NDAs. And then there's a whole secondary stream of work after that, which is like, okay, are they product qualified? You know, are they actually people that can get value from the platform? But that's just something to to learn over time with kind of data and stuff. But as an acquisition mechanism, it works like... With, like everything in search, it worked predictably, so I was quite pleased with it.
0: Amazing! I think one really key point, if you guys are listening and wondering how you would start about going to find those high intent keywords, then I think again yeah, listening to, I don't know, you should, like if your salespeople are recording their demos or um, their customer onboardings, but those would be great places to start, and even your case studies as well. Yeah, so a good place to start pinpointing it. Mm. Okay, amazing. Okay, and one thing that's very unique, I think, about you, Tom, as a content marketer, and something that always stuck with me and I've tried to instill in my team at at Cognizant, is that it all comes back to the dollar. So content marketing doesn't sit outside of being measured on revenue or money. It's still firmly fixed. That is a KPI that you believe it should be driving. So can you, yeah, share with us your, your opinion on this and how it's impacted your strategy for content?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think if you um firstly if you're in any function in a startup or a scale up and you don't want to be ju- you don't want to be part of the kind of revenue part of the business, like you're in trouble. <laughs> like as soon as other teams that do contribute to revenue start doing well, then you're very vulnerable to either being left behind or got rid of. So if you're not thinking about how you contribute to revenue directly, then probably you're doing the wrong thing. I think with um kind of you know how we think about it from a strategic point of view is that Usually what happens with a tech company, I think I wrote um, some content for you guys about this, is they get funded, they get a website, they launch the product. The website has like sign up across the demo, whatever it might be, a few other things, and like blog, because let's have a blog, you know? And the first few posts are gonna be great, because it's gonna be like, here's why this angel investor gave us 500 grand. And here's what we're gonna do, here's our open product roadmap. Look at these cool people we hired. It's all like really exciting. And then after a few months, they're gonna have to start making money. So the blog's going to get kind of left behind because it's not really doing anything that contributes to revenue. And it's a really funny exercise. If you go around the kind of blogs of like series B-ish companies, quite often you'll find quite a moribund blog that gets a post every month or so because it's Mm. just been managed down in priorities because it doesn't do anything for revenue. So I think the way to avoid that is like everything starts with like pyramid with a dollar sign at the top. Like, what are we here to do? And usually for a startup, it's like grow revenue. And then the level below that is like, okay, so how will content contribute to that? And that's things like convert leads that will become sales opportunities, right? So then a level down from that is like, okay, so who is the audience that we want to get through those content objectives? So in Juro's case, like in-house legal teams at tech companies, right? The level below that would be buyer personas, who are the actual people with job titles that we need to speak to. So general counsel, legal operations manager, at level down again is like themes what do these people care about what are the kind of broad things that they worry about in their life like legal operations innovation technology these kind of things in legal and then below that is pain points so like what are the actual problems that they have in their lives which we talked about content discovery a bit but it's things like the sales team hate me i've got to do all this forecasting for the ceo i don't know where to get data from like i'm buried in these low value contracts i just don't have any time to do interesting stuff I didn't like leave Slaughter May to do this filing. No, I think only once you've worked all the way down there, do you have any idea of what you should write about? And um, it doesn't really matter whether it's like a big rock, like an ebook or a blog or whatever it is, but everything you write or produce should be leading all the way back up to that dollar sign. So it means that if like the founders say to you, okay, what is this blog post? You should be able to say, okay, this addresses this pain point, which is a key theme for our buyer persona who is in our broader target audience of buyers it will create this objective, like convert them to be a lead and that will help us make more money. And if you can't follow the content all the way back up to money, do something else. Like it's a waste of time. Yeah. I
0: could agree more. I think, it's, I think it's a really important piece um, for everyone to think about when they're starting out or actually overhauling or just looking to retweet their strategy. And also it's really refreshing for like your managers or your CEO to be, for you to come and say, that's how I want to be measured. That's what I want my content to do. And it's it will be welcomed so
1: yeah it's also um it it kind of lands well and also it's a slight difference from like for me it's a bit of a reaction to previous roles where in a really big corporate there's just so many layers between you and revenue and you're not really going to like you might write something that helps like convert someone to like i don't know business banking or something but you're never going to find out and they're never going to tell you and it's motivating to the team to be like we're part of revenue we're we're not like a separate vanity thing to try and get like blog traffic. We're helping bring relevant buyer personas in front of the company and it's working or not working and let's change it as it does work. But I think it's really important for like kind of morale and cohesion in marketing that like everyone's aligned that way behind a dollar sign.
0: Yeah, definitely agree. Okay. So with all of that in mind, so let's say we're starting, starting Q4, how do you plan map out the content for that for the next quarter? and um, how does that look how do you work out how to split the resources and what the split should be between the seo content and the content that can power your lead gen efforts and campaigns what's that process look like for you
1: yeah it's a difficult question because you're kind of you're trying to compare you're like balancing history with projections and also you know you might have decided to double down on something so last course is not going to inform this quarter that much and the resource might be different i guess it kind of depends like number one like You've got to work out where you're strong you know we talked about what your advantages are if your ebooks regularly bring in tons of leads and stuff then you should just back that horse and max it out but generally speaking like everything else in in this kind of environment you should maybe really start with data it's a bit difficult for content because a quarter is an extremely arbitrary period of time for a content strategy like what's true on the 31st of september is also true on the 1st of october but the way kind of revenue kind of reporting works and stuff often you can feel pressure to switch up what you're doing between those dates it's like not always that simple but i think um the, the kind of two kind of main data points that we try to look at is which pages convert the best and then which traffic do we have that's most valuable so like that the first one is kind of a lead gen hubspot kind of metric and the second one is a search seo kind of metric and if you're trying to decide which how much resource to put into each of them I think for me, one thing I've learned over the last couple of years is like in a startup, especially one that's um, growing quickly, there's so much data to the point that it can start to get a little bit noisy and like it's quite hard to work out what the important numbers are. So I find it really useful if you want to tune out the noise, just tune out everything except revenue. Don't worry about site traffic, don't worry about leads, don't worry about MGRs, don't worry about MQLs, don't worry about SQLs, don't worry about SAOs, worry about revenue. Like which activities actually led to money because um, there's too many variables in lots of the other steps. So like you might have done something that produced loads of ops, but they might be ops because those kind of people, the sales team think they can sell, but the win rate for that kind of op is actually really low. So just look at where people actually give you money. If you want to like simplify it right down, um, I find that to be really, really useful. And it can, like, it's not always as easy as looking at HubSpot campaigns and looking for revenue figures because that needs everyone to have done a really, really good job with data hygiene. So quite often, like, at the end of every quarter, I'll look at new customers that were inbound, which in Jura's cases is most of them, and I'll just try and, like, honestly work out getting rid of all the other kind of noisy sort of data points, how we got that customer. Like, if we're being really honest with ourselves, what was the first thing that happened that brought them in? Because the attribution, as you know, is like, quite difficult often when there's lots of um, stuff going on so just really work out the content activity that was most associated with the most revenue and just back it that's what we do
0: amazing and actually slightly on that topic what are the metrics that you care about and measure like at the end of i don't know if it's monthly or end of quarter or end of year obviously apart from the revenue because we know that's the main number one thing but what are the things you're tracking like across that month that quarter that
1: year Honestly, we don't really move too far from MQLs and SAOs. I think we were quite monomaniacally focused on ops for a while because it was the probably the truest conversion picture that we had in the company because pos- possibly the MQL criteria were too loose and then we just made them tighter and tighter and tighter and made the qualification really strict. And pretty much everything shakes out into MQRs and SAOs. That's it really. Like there are some input metrics we look at, like how many things did we produce? How many followers did we gain? How many subscribers did we get? But those are probably the key metrics.
0: Yeah, okay. Great, sounds good. And what's been your biggest content success at Jury? If you can name one.
1: I don't know. I think getting to number one for contract management software was cool. And when you're watching competitors pay like $45 a click for the term, that was pretty cool. And just so with LegalOps um, outranking our old company, that was kind of cool. I think beyond that, um, I mean, we did an ebook where the Legal for Scales one that I referenced where we literally held up a mirror to our perfect customers and got them to talk about their lives. And the network effect of all of them sharing it and getting involved was incredible. We got like a thousand downloads, I think, in the first week. And we spent no money at all promoting it. And it was just network effects. And the conversion to NQR for that list was really high. So that was cool. Also, when we started to get inbound demand from prospects to the blog, like people we wanted to sell to being, like getting in touch and being like, oh, I'd love to be on your blog. That's cool. Just because it gives you a way of getting them like really closely linked to the company, which makes that kind of unfair advantage in sales a bit more pressing, I think.
0: Yeah, amazing. And something else, which actually, I guess you haven't spoken about there, but... One thing you have been very good at as well is getting your CEO Richard featured in some great publications and I know that's so hard to do especially without PR support and actually I'm not necessarily sure PR support helps. So are there any nuggets of advice you have on how to do this?
1: Yeah I think I mean firstly you need a CEO who like trusts you and has interesting things to say not smirching anyone's CEOs at all but like that's quite big. It's not easy to get that. So we've been really fortunate in, in that regard. I think when it comes to trying to get um, PR for them and trying to get them in interesting places, the kind of aggression point from before, let's just like do everything we can think of because most of it's going to, like some of it's going to stick. But when it comes to PR, like when we did our, uh, we announced our series A, it wasn't a huge fundraiser and it's not like really exciting vertical. It's not like we're curing cancer with AI. This is like contracts. But we've got in the Times in print and CTM in print and TechCrunch and a bunch of other stuff and really the secret behind that was obviously i knew we were going to close the round about three months out and i just started trying to make friends with people and it's just legwork that's what pr agencies do they're friends with these people but if you can do it yourself great so i spent a lot of time befriending some journalists at uh, those papers and like doing favors for them in terms of providing comment introducing them to interesting people and then when the time comes they're just going to be more amenable also pitching is like you should just talk to a comms manager. Don't really worry about a PR agency. If you want to know how to pitch better, like my wife is a comms manager, and she just told me all the things we were doing wrong. I just said, don't do any of this. Get rid of all this. Just write this. What what
0: the um, things you would do wrong? What what should you do?
1: Like put the press release in the email body copy. Don't attach don't attach it to the file. Um, make sure there's a phone number. Make sure you have everything important that you want to say covered in the three bullet points above the fold. Write it like you know, a tabloid newspaper, like one sentence per paragraph, people don't need to hear from both co-founders, like all that kind of stuff, just like simple, simple, simple. And um, yeah, I think just like even the time of day to send it and stuff like that. But if it's someone you already know, you're going to have a better chance. So just build those relationships ahead of time.
0: Okay, great. And there's one question actually, which I think is quite relevant for you to answer this. In some businesses, the inbound inquiries may lead to revenue um, but not for six months to twelve months, so that's quite hard to measure and use in planning. Any advice in situations like this?
1: I, I hear you. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. I think that will that will ring true to you.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult one because like we have a there's someone we, uh, we became a customer recently and I was looking at their record in HubSpot and I think a year and a half ago they subscribed they, they came through a referral subscribed to the blog read everything we did for six months changed jobs re downloaded everything read everything for another six months, and then took a call from BDR and closed. Like, great, but that's a long time, you know? <laughs> it's a long time to get ROI. I think the way to try and shortcut that, and, and it's, like, not something that's particularly easy for me, is events. Because, like, something that's always going to move people down the funnel, like, get them a bit more nurtured, however you want to kind of describe it, is meeting people. So, if you can get them from being an ebook downloader to a breakfast attender, it's like so much more valuable than ha- them having met someone. It's going to be a lot easier for them to return calls and all that kind of stuff. And even if they have begun at what you know is going to be a really long, slow sales cycle, just get them along, like give them tickets to events that you sponsor, anything you can do where you get to meet them again. I find that really helps. And if your tracking is all right in HubSpot, and you've got campaigns and stuff, you can link all of that revenue back to content. It's just going to take a while to eventuate, but it, it is a bit of a pain, but, um, Yeah I I mean we have like there's a higher likelihood of closing with that kind of deal so there's a bit of a balance there like outbound is faster but probably have a a worse win rate and inbound you have a much better win rate but it takes longer.
0: Yeah and I think just on that if you're I know you were mentioning events but and now we're remote and work from home but you can definitely be still doing like breakfasts or lunches remotely as long as you're again giving quality content and you've maybe got some interesting people to discuss points you know that will be of relevance to your personas, then that's really all that matters and the format can change regardless of the situation.
1: Yeah, so. for sure. And if you do regular content discovery, you can just ask them. Like, you know, just check in with them every now and then and be like, how's it going in lockdown? Do you miss any of those events? Did you are you kind of relieved you don't have to go to those conferences? Weren't they really boring? Like is there anything that you miss about them? And just try and work out where you can bring some value back. Because I agree it's all about like just the the way you get someone super nurtured to the point that they'll take a meeting is just giving them loads and loads of value.
0: Yeah, definitely. And don't be, and I really do think it's important. Like I know you, what you're very easy to talk to. And I think that's why you would make friends with people very quickly, but do try and build those relationships? If you're going on a call to write a a blog piece with someone that you've been introduced to, spend a bit of time just talking to them as a person rather than thinking like this is a business interaction and don't be afraid to ask, some other questions that not are not going to come into the blog but they're just helpful for you and will be helpful for what you do.
1: Yeah for sure I think just on that like it's a really good point because um, when I first started getting um, kind of junior writers working on stuff it's like something quite common where people will just jump in with the first question like so how do you think about legal process in your teams?" like hello my name's Tom you know just <laughs> like let's slow down a bit because they don't know you. You need to get them comfortable with the idea that you're a friend you're not like An investigative journalist trying to get some kind of clangor out of them. so quite often especially with people working at um scale-ups or people in legal teams i'll just ask them about the company because everyone's always proud of their company like oh who who are your investors oh that's really cool like when did you join you know how many people have they hired since then like wow that's a lot just get them comfortable with talking about themselves because especially for our constituency of lawyers really not comfortable with self-promotion like a lot of them it's it's just Counterintuitive. They're very risk-averse. they don't want to give away stuff about the company so you just need to kind of get them to open up and just be friends with them
0: yeah definitely for sure well thanks so much my my We have slightly run over but i'm going to leave everyone with this statement that tom told me just before we jumped on the call which i'm sure we'll re-interview tom it's another point to leave you with with which is he's now producing a new ebook every two weeks so I think for Tom, for me, and hopefully we've given you some context towards it in this episode, the ebook is definitely alive and kicking. And I think the big sort of point from us will be don't necessarily fix, well, don't fix what isn't broken. Just start doing things better. Create an unfair advantage, create an unfair brand. And it doesn't matter what size you are. There are still things that you can be doing in order to achieve that. And then in terms of what's next, we've still got more to come. Uh, we well, will be talking to Andy from Leadfeeder. They, this is going to be a really interesting session because they reacted really quickly to lock down on the situation that was going on. And it, to me, what they did was real life agile marketing. People talk about it all the time, but what they have done and are doing at Lead Feeder is definitely what I would call agile marketing. So we're going to be digging into that with Andy um, in, in more depth and understand exactly how he's generated all those leads for the business. We'll be talking to Carla from Turtle about, why you should potentially stop gating content, it doesn't work. And that's actually probably more controversial than, than the real truth. But Turtle is a software solution that allows you to get some amazing stats from, from your content. So, whether you are gating it or not, it becomes actually really actionable. How long have people read that ebook for? Where did they drop off? These types of things. And we'll be digging into that and more. But thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you about marketing and pick your brains. And uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll get you back at some point soon to talk about that ebook every two weeks.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, if anyone wants to see if that is possible, we launched an ebook today called Legal for SaaS, which you can probably find if you head over to slash um, resources. But we did that in 10 working days. So that's kind of a proof point for um, how this is possible.
0: And I think just to put in context, your team is just. Is it just two content or is there more than that now?
1: DOS. And I also am a real fascist about uh, writing, so I don't outsource any writing. So we did all of that in house.
0: Yeah, so that is amazing. Well, we're definitely going to have to interview again. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Tom, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, catch you soon.